You're listening to your superpowered mind on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that investigates the innate power within your brain to create lasting change. Hello, everyone. Welcome to your superpowered mind. I am Kristen Maxwell, and in this show, we explore the process of transformation and give you tools and strategies that you can use to transform your own life. Today, I am pleased to be talking to Terry Tucker about transmuting challenges into excellence. And let me tell you a little bit about Terry. He has definitely had an interesting life. He's reinvented himself frequently from playing basketball at the Citadel to working in marketing to hospital administration to um to other businesses. I I can't even read my own writing. (laughs) He was a police officer and SWAT hostage negotiator and went into school security consulting. However, his biggest reinvention came up when he was diagnosed with a very rare form of melanoma that required years of treatment, caused significant pain, and ultimately resulted in the amputation of one of his legs. He's the author of Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And in this book, he talks about how he did not give up and become a victim of the disease and his challenges, but learned to survive and become stronger. And wow, how is that something that's uh, hard to deal with? Anyway, Terry, welcome to your superpowered mind. Well, thanks for having me, Kristen. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Yes, me too. So, Terry, my first question is always, what superpower did you uncover as the result of mastering your mind? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and, and you're right. I could probably go a lot of places with this just on cancer alone. But I, I, I guess the thing that I've learned or one of the things that I've learned, I think that's real important, is that the obstacles that we face in life are more often than not the obstacles that we place in our own path, and that our physical bodies can do so much more than we ever thought they could do. And and I'm reminded of a a story, actually, I read about a professor at Johns Hopkins University back in the 1950s who did a very simple experiment. He took rats, and trust me, this is going somewhere, I promise. You're like, what's he talking about? No, I'm curious. (laughs) He took rats, and he put them in a tank of water that were over their head. And he wanted to see how long the rats could tread water. And the average rat treaded water for about 15 minutes. And just as the rat was getting ready to sink and drown, he reached in, grabbed the rat, pulled it out, dried it off, let it rest for a while. And then he put those same rats back in that exact same tank of water. And the second time around, those rats treaded water for 60 hours. So think about that. You know, 15 minutes, that's all I can do. I'm going to sink and drown. The second time around, 60 hours, which said to me two things. Number one, the importance of hope in our lives. We have to believe that what we're going through or what we're experiencing or what we're working towards is something that's going to make our lives better down the road. And number two, as I said earlier, just how much more our physical bodies can handle than we ever thought they could. So I guess that would be my long-winded answer to your question. Wow. And right there, that was just... um... 
that's really something that sticks with you. And I do remember, you know, there's a part of your book where you talked about being in so much pain and and remembering something that when you're at the point where you're going to give up, you're only 40% of the way to your body's inability to handle it or something like that? Yeah, the, the 40% rule. Actually, I, I learned that from, I, I have a friend of mine, uh, actually a, a young man who works with my wife, who was a former Navy SEAL and some of the toughest men in the world, toughest men in the military. And, and the SEALs talk about their 40% rule, which kind of goes along with the rats, that whenever they get to the end of their rope and they don't think they can go on, they don't think they can swim another uh, lap or you know run another mile or do another push-up, that they're only at 40%. We're only at 40% of our maximum, and we still have another 60% left to give to us. To ourselves. So again, whenever you get into that point where, you know, oh man, I'm just beat up. And, and I certainly was when, when I was on interferon and, and I, I was on it for five years. I took an injection every week that basically gave me the flu for two to three days. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And that wasn't a cure for my cancer. That was, as my oncologist used to say, to kick the can down the road. And there were literally days I prayed to die. I just, I was like, God, look, I'm so sick of being sick please take me out of this. But he didn't. And and I've come to realize that our bodies can handle so much more than we ever thought that they could. Wow. This is really powerful. Okay. I want to go into the layers of that, um, both also mentally, how we do this when our challenges are mental, but we do need to go to a break. Can you let people know where they can find you and your book? So, sure. So the, the book is called Sustainable Excellence, The Ten Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And it's available pretty much anywhere you can get a book online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple iBooks, et cetera. And then I have a blog called Motivational Check, and uh, that's the easiest way to reach me. So motivationalcheck.com. Great. Thank you. Hang on, everyone. Um, do also remember that we have... If you're looking for a community, an incredible community over at Superpower Experts, um, amazing support in all different levels of your life. So uh, superpowerexperts.com. Hang on. We will be back and talking more about transmuting challenges into excellence. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. If you're ready to transform yourself and transform the world through podcasting, we invite you to join us. We co-create a non-competitive, collaborative environment designed to support you as you step into your greatness. Go now to superpowerexperts.com and click on the Programs tab to get started today. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Kristen Maxwell, and I'm talking to Terry Tucker. And so... You know, one of the things you said at the very beginning, which is so interesting, is that the obstacles we face are often the obstacles we place in our own path. You want to go into that a little bit more? Sure. I, I think that's, you know, we we are we're great about, you know, starting down a road towards goals or ambitions or whatever you want to call it. And and then as soon as we butt up against an obstacle. We quit. We give up. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Little difficulty. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit. And then we, we don't, we don't take, or very few people take responsibility for their own success and happiness. As soon as we butt up against that obstacle, we want to start blaming people. 
You know, who do we, who do you want to blame? You want to blame your parents. You want to blame your boss. You want to blame your station in life. And when I got cancer, I had a lot of people that were like, well, well, who do you blame? I'm like, what do you mean? Who do I blame? Like, well, you got cancer. You, you've, you've got to blame somebody. And he was like, well, I don't really blame anybody. And like, well, you, well, you must blame God. And I'm like, no. And I sort of joke. I'm like, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, hey, Terry Tucker, cancer today. I don't think that happened at all. But people want to blame when they don't take responsibility for their own success and happiness. And that more than anything kind of drives me crazy where why don't you just take it, take the ugliness, take you know, people always say, I don't want to fail. Well, failure is a part of success. There's nobody out there that's ever been a success that's never failed along their journey. So use that, you know, use those obstacles to make you stronger, to make you more resilient. And one of the things that I guess I would recommend to your audience, and I try to do this every single day of my life, do one thing that makes you nervous, that makes you uncomfortable, that scares you, that's potentially embarrassing. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. Just do one small thing every day. Because when you, if you do that, when the big things in life hit us and they hit us all, you know, we get a, a cancer diagnosis or somebody close to us dies or we're living out of our car because we lost our job, you'll be so much more resilient to handle those big things if you do the small things every day. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. You sort of begin to learn or um, have a process because you do, you start to learn, okay, this feels really uncomfortable and look, hey, I've survived. I did that and I'm okay. So what is it, you know, this idea of feeling like a victim? How do you get people to look at things differently? You know, when you find that people are blaming others and all of that, what is a question or what often works to get them out of their head? Just out of curiosity. I, I think this is this is something I certainly learned, and I don't I don't know if a lot of people learn it, but it's one thing that I learned from playing team sports. I started playing basketball when I was nine years old, and played all the way up until I graduated from college. And I think one of the things you learn in team sports is the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. And you realize that when you're on a team, if you don't do your job, not only do you let yourself down. But you let your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life. And, you know, people always, you know, they're like, well, you know, and, and I guess maybe I should back up. I get in dark places. Don't think that, you know, I've got this great mindset that I, I nothing bad ever happens or I never get down. I do. I get down quite a bit. I have treatment every three weeks for my cancer. Sometimes I cry. Sometimes, you know, I feel sorry for myself. But I realized that what I'm doing, hopefully, is part of something that's bigger than me. I'm on a clinical trial drug that may not save my life, but it may save the life of somebody that I don't even know five years from now, 10 years from now, based on the data that the doctors are gleaning from my test results, my scans, and things like that. So when I get into those dark places, and when we all get there, what are we doing? We're looking inward. You know, woe is me. Oh, this is terrible, and things like that. And I think the way to get out of that is to look externally. Okay, open yourself up. Who can I help? Who can I make a difference in their life right now? I've always believed that our purpose in life, regardless of what you do, has to include a part of service, that we have to serve our God, if you believe in that, serve our fellow man and things like that. So if you're looking inward, you're feeling lousy, you're feeling down, 
Go find somebody to help. Go find somebody to make a difference in their, in their life because now the focus is not on you. It's on somebody else. Yes, very, very true. And it's remembering to do that. That's partly where I think people, you know, it's easy to get stuck in this sort of woe is me place and forget, wait, okay, I don't have to be in this place. There's a different way I can look at this. And I do, I love what you had said earlier about how you can look and see, you know, what, how is this going to make me better? How is this going to make me stronger? And I find that that is often, it really does right there, get people to, rather than being a victim, sort of saying, oh, yes, of course, I'm going through this, because I'm going to then be able to, you know, do this down the road, or, or something like that. That's what I find. Yeah, and I think that goes back to hope, you know, we have to, whatever we're doing, whatever we're going through, yeah, you know, this sucks right now, but embrace that suck. Take that suck and realize that if if I can get through this, then when I come out on the other end, I'm going to be a stronger person. I'm going to be a more resilient person. And, and okay, I'll deal with that now if I know that the end goal is something that's going to be positive in my life. Yes. Yeah. And it's really what I remember when I really was learning, okay, how much um, distress we can cause ourselves when we're fighting against what's going on. Where oh, absolutely. It's, it's yeah. sort of, and one of the reasons, this is going to sound really silly and trivial, but one of the times I really, really got it is my husband and I went on a, you know, a 65 mile backpacking trip over three 12,500 foot peaks. And it was raining and it was snowing and there was lightning. And this is July, by the way. Um, and the whole time I kept going, this sucks. But then it was like, but who do I want to be? I can sit and I can whine the whole time. And mind you, I really could have whined the whole time, but I didn't because I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Who do I want to be in this? And that's not what I want to be as a whiner. And for some reason, it was so clear to me, you know, I have a choice right now. Who am I going to be? Am I going to be a pain in the butt or am I going to be a support to the, you know, everybody else who's on the trip? So kind of funny. Um, you know, in your book, um, you talk about four truths. And maybe can you tell, you know, the listeners sort of what those truths are? Sure, sure. So these are, are four things that I guess I've, I've certainly really come to understand over these last 10 years with cancer. Um, you know, there's certainly a culmination of the things I've experienced in my life. And I, I look at them as basically a, a, the bedrock of my soul, so to speak. They're, they're a good place, I think, to build a quality life off of. And I have them here on my desk. They're, they're on a post-it note. I've written them down. They're one sentence each. So number one is you need to control your mind or your mind is going to control you. Number two is embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more determined individual. Number three is, I guess, more of a legacy truth. I think regardless of what stage of life we're in, it's always important to sort of think about the end game. You know, what are people going to say about you at your funeral? What, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? So number three is this. What you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. Mm -hmm. And then number four, I think is kind of self-explanatory. 
as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And I use these truths in all honesty to, to make decisions in my life. Should I do this particular therapy? Should I get involved in this project and things like that? And so far, they they haven't let me down. And, and they've just been something that, like I said, they're really the bedrock of my soul. Yeah. And, and did you always have that in you, would you say, sort of this really scrappy, I'm just going to get up and keep keep going? Or did you really truly learn this through the process? I, I think I started to learn it when I was in high school. I, as I mentioned, uh, you know, I played basketball in college and I had three knee surgeries in high school. And I remember when I went back playing basketball after those knee surgeries, my brain was putting all this negative, these negative thoughts in, into my mind, you know, things like, you know, hey, you're probably a step slower because of the surgeries college coaches aren't going to want to recruit you to play at their college or university because of this. And I was like, no, wait a minute. I'm still playing at an elite level. And college coaches are still reaching out to me about the possibility of playing for their school. So I realized kind of early on in life that I needed to change that narrative. I needed to sort of flip that switch to something that was more positive. And if you, you know, you think about it, our brains can hold one thought at a time. Why would you want to make that a negative thought? You know, I remember back in college, guys would go out and party the night before a big test. And then they, they'd come in the next morning to take the test. And, and what's the first thing they would say? Be like, oh, man, I'm, I'm really not feeling good today. I'm really going to blow this test. Why would you say that to yourself? Why would you go immediately to the negative? Why wouldn't you at least say, hey, I showed up for class, you know, during, took care of all the lectures, got all the notes. I did pretty good on the other exams. You know what? I'm going to do great on this test. But we don't do that. We always want to go to the negative. I just like, you know what? Find the negative, get rid of it, and replace it with something positive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that is one of the things that I find is often true is you look at a situation and there's the way you look at it. And you can say, okay, what's another interpretation for what is going on? And I'm always asking my clients this. What is another interpretation for go that's going on right now other than like I'm failing or this sucks? And sometimes their brain can't even get it at first because they're so set in this, it's not working and I'm not doing it and it's not going anywhere. And you point out sort of along the lines of what you talk about, well, or is there stuff that you're supposed to be learning right now? What are you learning? And how is that going to make you a better, you know, coach or business person? And right there, that just changed it from being so passive and negative into like, oh, you're right. Okay. All right. I'll keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really going to date myself now here, so so cut me a little bit of slack if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> but, but back in 1976, there was a, a gold medal winning Olympic swimmer by the name of Shirley Babishoff, and she had one of the greatest quotes I ever heard, and, and it was very simple. This is what she said: "Winners think about what they want to happen, and losers think about what they don't want to happen." So winners can override all that negative stuff and think about the positive qualities of pursuing a goal or a dream, whereas losers can't. They can't, like you just said, you know, they can't even see the, the other side of this. They're so caught up in the negative part of it. And that's you're, you're going to lose on that, on that scale every single time. I, I remember when I was growing up, Bobby Knight was the basketball coach at the University of Indiana. And, and here's this great coach 
who had a really simple saying, and he said, mental is to physical as four is to one. So here's this coach coaching elite athletes to be great on the basketball court. But what that saying says is your mind is four times more important than your body will ever be. Wow, that's so powerful. I love that. Um, especially back then, I mean, like really recognizing the power of the mind. Um, you know, one of the things you talk about is excellence, you know, that that everyone is born to lead an uncommon and extraordinary life. What do you mean by that? How? Yeah, it, it's kind of like, you know, you wrote a book called Sustainable Excellence. What is excellence? And, and my response is, I, I don't know. And, and, and I don't mean that to be like, well, you wrote that book, dummy. Why, why don't you know? And, and I think the reason is because what you and I might look at somebody and say, okay, that person's excellent. Well, somebody else might look at them and say, they're good, but I don't think they're excellent. So I think excellence a lot of times is sort of like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. But one of the things that, you know, I, I, I guess that, that, I don't know, I'm trying to, you know, what do we do when we get to what you would consider excellent or what I would consider excellent? You know, we get to that point in our lives where, you know, we're in the corner office, we're running the company, we're, you know, we're the head coach, whatever, whatever you're doing. And, and you're sitting there and you're like, you know, I've made it. And what do we do? We stop. We, we, we get to excellence and then we maintain it. And then we wonder why people catch up with us and, and exceed or surpass where we've done. If you've reached excellence in your mind or, or, you know, wherever you are in life, if you've reached it, the only way to sustain it is to get better, is to change the way you do things to keep moving forward. But so many people don't. It's like, you know, my goal is to do this. And when they get to that, they just stop, they, they maintain, and then everybody catches up with them. So I, I don't, I don't know necessarily if that answers your question, but that's, I don't really know how to define excellence. I think everybody has to do that for themselves. But once you get there, however you define it, you have to change the way you do things. You have to keep moving forward or people are going to catch up to you and surpass you. Right. Yeah. And I find that that's often sort of what's hard in transitions, I think, for people. You know, they often have this view of, you know, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go get a good job. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids. And then and they achieve all that. And it's like, okay, what's next? What is your next goal? Because there comes a point at which if you're just living that, it will start to become a little meaningless after over time. Because there's, I think we have this well, many people, this drive to continue working towards something, you know, that's where we find our meaning, whatever it is. Yes, absolutely. And, and I always tell, you know, especially young people, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you think you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things you didn't do, and but then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. But, you know, we always get into that, well, you know, if I do that, you know, then people are going to, maybe I'll fail and they'll laugh at me or they won't like me. And, and I actually devoted a chapter in my book uh, to a saying that was, most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And I know I've done that. 
I know I've done that plenty of times in my life where, ooh, I'd like to do that, mm, but I'm a little scared or I'm not sure I'm very good at that or I'll be successful at that. And what are people going to say about me? Who cares? Who cares what people say about you? I mean, if the people that you have around you aren't caring, loving, uplifting people that want the best for you, then get those people out of your life and put those caring, loving you know, people that are willing to tell you the truth around you. And that way, when, you know, when things happen, you're like, yeah, I got good people around me and good things are going to happen because of that. Yeah. And that is such an important um, factor to consider is your community and, and the way they live because they, they live by example. And I can't tell you how many times it's, you see somebody else responding in a way and you go, Oh, Wow. Like it never would have occurred to me to do it that way. And what a great way. I mean, I have one of my daughters just growing up. She, you know, something would go wrong. And from the very beginning, she was like, ah, that's okay. I'll just do it again later. Like from the very beginning. And I don't know where she learned. Some people I think are sort of born with that. Yeah. But the rest of us have to work at it. Right. I I agree. And, you know, and a lot of times people... I, I don't really look at what people say as much as I do what people do, you know, because people talk a good game a lot of times, but their actions don't back up, you know, what they're saying. And and and, and what do we do? You know, we, we surround ourselves with good people and then somebody will say to you, oh, hey, Terry, you know, mm, that's not a good move. You're kind of messing up here. And and what do we do? It's like, oh, no, oh, no, you're not my friend anymore. You know, get out of here because you're not going along with me. But no, those are the people that are your friend. Those are the people that love you enough to risk their relationship with you to tell you the truth. Yeah, of who you are and what you want to be and what you're capable of. Yes, I love that. So then there was um, one of the things that you mentioned in your book was this idea of the motivational check. Can you just explain what it was? I really liked liked that. Sure. So... um, Actually, that's kind of where the the title of my blog, Motivational Check, came from, is that when we were in the police academy, our defensive tactics instructor gave us that phrase, motivational check. So basically, and and we did some pretty crazy things in the academy. I mean, we ran a marathon. We we, we did some things that really tested our physical abilities. And whenever somebody would get to the point where they were, you know, I'm just, I'm having a tough day. I don't think I can get through this. This is really challenging me. They could just yell out motivational check. And the rest of us, we were the 84th recruit class, would respond with, you know, 84 that, hey, look, I know you're hurting. We're all hurting right now, but stay with it. Hang in there. We'll all get through this together. This isn't an individual thing. You know, and and I tell people all the time, it's like, hey, you're unique, but I got news for you. You're not that special. You know, we all have unique gifts and talents, but all these people that think, you know, hey, it's all about me. It's, it, you know, it's it's great and you need to do this kind of stuff. I, I remember Lou Holtz was the, the football coach at Notre Dame, won a national championship in 1988. And he was asked, what's the difference between players today and players 50 years ago? And he said, players today care about their rights and their privileges, whereas players 50 years ago cared about their obligations and their responsibilities. Wouldn't it be great if we could all get back to the point where, hey, it's not about me. What, what's it about? It's about what are my obligations? How can I help you? How, what are my responsibilities? How can I make, I make a difference in your life? Yeah, it really is such um, a communal. Life is such a communal <laughs> journey. It really. is. 
and the importance of it is, is so huge. And I'm, I'm um, hoping that people, and I think people are feeling, you know, with COVID and everything, just really felt the loss of it. And I'm hoping we can really pull ourselves together um, and, you know, really become a community again, whether it's, you know, our street or our city or whatever it is that we partake in, our school. Um, so I got, we're almost out of time, but I guess what I want to say is there's something obviously that I did not ask you that you would want to let the listeners know that you would love for them to keep in mind as they go into their lives and face the challenges of their days? Sure. Let, let me, let me leave you with a, a final story, I guess. Uh, I've always been a big fan of Westerns growing up and that my mom and dad used to let me stay up and watch, you know, Gunsmoke and Bonanza and Wild Wild West. And in 1993, the movie Tombstone came out. It's a huge blockbuster. It's still in reruns uh, on different networks now. And it starred Val Kilmer as a man by the name of John Doc Holliday and Kurt Russell as a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now, Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were two living, breathing human beings who walked on the face of the earth. They're not made up characters just for the movie. And Doc was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade. But pretty much Doc Holliday was a gunslinger and a card shark. And Wyatt Earp had been a lawman his entire life. So these two men from entirely divergent backgrounds somehow come together and form this very close friendship. And at the end of the movie, Doc Holliday is dying at a sanitarium uh, of tuberculosis in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is actually about three hours from where I live. And the real Doc Holliday died in that sanitarium and he's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Wyatt at this point in his life is destitute. He has no money, he has no job, he has no prospects for a job. So every day he comes to play cards with Doc and the two men pass the time that way. And in this scene, almost at the end of the movie, the two men are talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, when I was younger, I was in love with my cousin, but she joined a convent over the affair, but she's all that I ever wanted. And he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal, there's just life and get on with living yours. Kristen, you and I, I'm sure know people out there that are sort of just hanging back and they're like, well, when this happens, I'll have a normal life. When that happens, I'll have a successful life. When this occurs, I'll have a, a significant life. I guess what I would leave your listeners with is this. Don't wait. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there. Find the reason you were put on the face of this earth. Use your unique gifts and talents and live that reason. Because if you do, at the end of your life, I'm going to promise you two things. Number one, you're going to be a whole lot happier. And number two, you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your heart. Wow. Mic drop. That's amazing. Yes. I could, I could sit and listen to you talk all day. Well, thank you. <laughs> really, honestly. Um, well, thank you so much for you know, sharing your story with everybody and inspiring other people to, you know, to step up into their potential. Um, well, th thank you for having me on. I, I always say that it's, it's nice people like you that, that allow me to come on to their shows. And between our conversation, hopefully we're going to make a difference in somebody's life. And if we do, then today's been a good day. Exactly, exactly. And I do love listening to other people and the way they think, because it just, it really gets us out of our rut. You know, there's a different way to be and we can all be a light for other people. So absolutely. 
Yeah. Well, thank you listeners. Thank you for being here and showing up for yourself. And until next time, go out and remember that you do hold the power to change and transform your world. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today. 